Hi, and welcome to the Calm Age Rebels podcast. I'm Trudy Lewis. I'm Jenny Field. And I'm Advita Patel. So this week in our new section, we thought we'd talk about the whole area of media and Naomi Osaka, who's currently dropped out of the French Open, and, and just explore some of what's happened in terms of being responsible in terms of the roles that you have taken on and see if we can talk through what's happened. It's, it's been quite an interesting one for me because I, I follow tennis. So I've, I have been following it, but it's fascinating to see the various reactions and the sides that we need to take. So, you know, you could say to yourself, you know, I take the side of the media or I take the side of Naomi or whatever. Uh, yes, it's about her mental health. So it's, it's, is mainly about her personal experience rather than a blanket thing. So I'm just curious what you both think about this. Mm, I think it's such an interesting topic. I'm gonna I'm gonna say up front today on the news that I've not been very well. So if I sound a bit strange, then that's that's why my voice is a little odd. But I think it's a I think it's really interesting. What's interesting for me is watching the commentary around it. So she's obviously come out and said, I'm not doing media interviews. She said that when she was already playing I think because I wasn't following it that closely and I know Trudy you do follow tennis more than I do but I thought it was strange that she wouldn't say this beforehand like just to give everyone a bit of a heads up I'm not going to be doing media interviews but it's interesting watching people in the media respond to that and, and people who were huge advocates for inclusion and huge advocates for mental health uh, and mental well-being and, and all of those things really coming to her defense essentially to say it's within your rights to say you're not going to be doing media interviews. There is something about expectation, though, and I do think that, I think, seems to be the issue. I think it's weird that she's been fined for not doing media interviews. I do feel like that's quite extreme. But I do think there is an expectation on people in roles, whether you're in a leadership role in an organisation, whether you're a, a celebrity, whether you're an expert in your field of sport or cooking or whatever it might be, I think there is an expectation that you would talk to the media because you have to talk to your stakeholders and the media is the is the way in which to do that and so I think it, I just think it's really tricky I mean we could talk about this for hours we say this whenever we pick a news topic we could talk about this for hours but there's a lot there's a lot in there to work through um and and just it's just really interesting it's really interesting watching other people's opinions come through I think it is a tough one and I've been like you Jenny very loosely been following the story I've seen the headlines and as usual people kind of go on the attack don't they how mm-hmm. dare she what's going on and I completely sympathize with her and what she's going through because I think the other thing we forget is that she's quite young you know she's quite a young athlete I'm not 100% certain of her age but I know when she won the championship she wasn't much older than what Trudy might be able to correct us here but she wasn't much older than 2021 right so it's quite a young age and I can imagine that she's been in the limelight for quite a long time however I do agree that when you take on a certain role which she has obviously taken on board there is a sense of I suppose duty in a way to kind of show you know show up for your stakeholders and show up for your fans because people people do generally care uh, and want to know what her playing style is going to be, what what she's going through, what her kind of process is is around. But reading some of the interviews, I think a few folks were saying that she doesn't like to be, she didn't want to be judged. She was in, she's in quite a, a, a space in her mind at the moment where she can't take the judgment of, of mm-hmm. individuals who are judging her and looking at her playing thing. And we spoke about, was it Serena? Serena Williams? Yeah, 
yeah, I was saying before we recorded that she's done a really great video that basically says none of you can play tennis as well as I can. So you can all write and you can comment as much as you like, but no one's can play tennis like me. And I just loved it because it's it's such a good way of framing it. And I think this it links so much into kind of resilience and some of that stuff as well. But if you think about that and if you focus on that, people can say whatever. People are always going to have an opinion on you, no matter who you are and what you do. Someone walking down the street will pass a judgment based on the clothes that you wear or the way that you walk or anything, because that's what we do. You just, just whether or not you care. Yeah. It is about age, though. And a part of it, you know, experience and age does play a big part in your confidence as you get older. So, so I can, you know, when Serena first came out, and I'm old enough to remember <laughs> when the Williams sisters, you know, <laughs> me too, they, me too, I, me too. Yeah. <laughs> they were, I would say they they had similar challenges with the media and the, the, the way they were treated. Um, so I don't apart like I do kind of think a part of me thinks, you know what? I don't blame her. Like it's within it's within anyone's right to turn around and say, I'm not doing this anymore. I am not putting myself through this. And I'm not going to undertake this unnecessary suffering that I have to go through every time I have to step up and have these interviews with the media. And I, I completely, you know, sympathise, like I said, with that. But then I then the professional business mind in me <laughs> says <laughs> you have there is a sense of responsibility in some way to show up for your people, right? Show up for your for your fans and 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 stand up and say and even if you don't want to answer the questions that the the press are sending giving to you 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 can still get your point across and say this is all I'm prepared to talk about if you don't want to hear me talk about this then on your head be it but I'm not going to talk I'm not going to answer your questions about x y and z I am sticking to my script and this is what I'm going to say and I think that's okay to do that and it's about it's about controlling your narrative right and and I think people forget that sometimes that it's okay to say I'm not answering that question or mm. I'm not getting into that at the moment or mm. that's not what we're here to talk about. And if that's what she feels is happening in the interviews where people are asking her inappropriate questions that she doesn't want to answer or are putting it under strain, then you should be able to say to anyone, you know, regardless of who you are, you know, whether you're a tennis star or not, you should be able to say, I'm not answering that question at the moment because I don't think it's appropriate or I'm not willing to answer that question. I am going to talk about tennis and my game because that's what I'm here to do. But I don't know in this instance whether it has been a specific line of questioning or if it's just a blanket rule. And, and as you were saying that, it made me think of another video I saw this week, which was Kira Knightley quite a few years ago being asked when she was on the red carpet, how do you balance home and work? And she said, are you going to ask every man that question tonight? And the reporter said, yes. And she went, great. And then I think she did answer it. But I was like, it's such a stupid question. Like... <laughs> Like, how is that, how is that helpful to someone that's just released a film? You know, it just was, there are questions that are asked that you just think, I'm not really sure this is adding any value. So I don't know, I don't know if you know, Trudy, whether it was a specific line of questioning or if it's just a blanket, I don't want to talk to anybody. I I think generally the the criticism, I think from her part was about how it makes you feel, especially if you are, you have lost and you then have to face them. And they do ask you very intrusive questions that pretty much, break you down even more so you already feel bad because you lost and and I guess there's that 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 thing of you know here's another question that's going to make you feel worse but 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 there are a couple of things around that because as a tennis player generally there's something about their minds and resilience that they have to get to a certain place to anyway in order to play tennis at that level Mm. and I think for her 
I guess it shows quite a lot of immaturity. She hasn't been on the tour for that long. Yes, she's won a couple of Grand Slams, but she's not been kind of like a Serena or one of the others who've been around for a long time. She's she's slightly introverted herself. So those things may, may hit them worse. So I, I do think that, you know, for her, there's a little bit of a balance thing about, yeah, actually, I, I would like to have the maturity to stand up to the reporter and say, I'm not going to answer a certain question or I'm not going to go that route. She has in in part in the past walked out of press conferences okay. and, and so on only because, you know, I can't, you know, it's like, I can't deal with it. And you know, if you're, and, and to be honest, I think why she's being applauded in some ways is that if you are having a challenge, then you should have the boldness to get up and say, do you know what? That's too much for me. I've got to walk off. However, in, uh, in contrast, a bit like what Evita said, on her part, she's got another issue at play because within her contracts, it says you have to do this as part of what you do. If you don't do it, you get fined for every single press conference that you wow. miss, you get fined. So as a result, it's a bit of a challenge. So when I think there was somebody in some reporter that said something about, well, there's an unfair advantage or it could have been the the tennis authorities in in France but generally she doesn't have an unfair advantage because she's paying a fine <laughs> so, yes. so she's chosen to take the route of this is too much for me I've, I've got to back off and I think she as she has the right to do that I just do think that there is a responsibility that we have when we sign up for certain things that we probably have to follow through on and if we say probably like what she has done which is say do you know what? I need a timeout when you think about also the fact that from the tournament to the sponsors are all tied up in the press activity, they're not going to let it go. Do you know what I mean? It's not, it's not something that they're just going to say, oh, it's okay. It's because everything's tied up in the money. Everything's tied up in how they operate as a business as well. So I can imagine it would be quite challenging on their part to say they've never had to deal with something like this before either. So, so, yeah. Like, so yeah, it's a tough one. Yeah, there's there's just there's so much in there, isn't there? I think to to kind of work through, like you said, like all the all the sponsorship and all the deals that are tied up in it. You know, the financial thing can't be a reason to risk someone's mental well being. It's made me think about footballers that are interviewed after a game. You mm. know, how does it go? And they're like, "Well, it was rubbish." <laughs> um, you know, and and how they you know, oh, how, like you missed that, you missed that, and you're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, like and how they feel and. And maybe there's something about doing those interviews, you know, sometime after. But then I'm also thinking about my own experience. And I used to work in media relations uh, and I used to have to deal with the press. And, you know, now having released a book, dealing with the press around some of those things, like there is a genuine sense of anxiousness for me around doing that. You know, it's not people always say oh, I'm very extroverted and I love, you know, talking and I do love speaking. and I love doing all those things. But it's also, you know, it can be relentless if I'm doing speaking events you know, day after day after day, whether it's a podcast interview and then speaking and then this and then this, it is wearing because you're having to kind of perform quite a lot of the time. And I think that is a balance to strike. I don't, I don't have a, a kind of side either way on this. I just think it's, it's a good question to be asking as we, you know, are critical thinkers and question what's going on around us. I think it's a good thing to, to reflect on as to when is the right time to interview somebody if they have worked their you know, months and years to do something and it's not gone how they wanted it to go. And then you shove a camera in their face and go, so how do you think you did? <laughs> like, well, but, I don't really want to talk about it. <laughs> this is also, you know, this is whole thing about her being, you've always spoken about her age, you know, she is young athlete, but she's also a woman of colour, right? And most of those people in that room are white middle-aged men. 
asking yeah. the questions. And as you could, this is, I mean, again, we could talk about this for another episode, but it's about that belonging piece again. Yeah. It's being asked the questions from the people that you don't relate with, you don't connect with, and they're judging you to an extent, right? So you've got this white middle-aged man asking you all these questions as a young black Asian woman, as she is, it can be a bit overwhelming. And we've spoken about this in one of our previous episodes in the diversity one, I think, where we said walking into a room where you're the minority can be really overwhelming. And then having yeah. to field off a load of questions about your performance and who you are can be even more difficult so in the end I think she's she's taken the decision for her own well-being which I applaud like we said and said I'm not I'm not doing it she's taken the fine so it's not an unfair advantage she's taken she's paid the fifteen thousand dollars where is and she's actually even has she stepped down now from the French Open she says she's not playing she in it anymore yeah so she's so. taken she's 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 risked her career really to not take part in that so it's it's it's, it's more than a what you call it, you know, more than being a bit of a, you know, dramatising in the sense of, oh, look at her throwing her dummy out the pram, she doesn't do this. I think she's genuinely thinking, I can't cope. And mm. I think we all have to recognise that's okay. But again, when you are signing these contracts and it's, there's money involved and it's business decisions, this is, again, we need to be very cautious about what we're signing up for and what, what's our expectation and be very clear of what we're there to do and what we're not there to do and, yeah. and be very, very clear on that. Cause that's, that's the only thing you can control before you sign your life away, really. Yeah. I'm just going to be channeling Serena's whole, you don't play tennis as well as me. So you can, you can write what you like. <laughs> but no, I, I really love that statement because it's so true. And, and, you know, it's not about being a diva. It's about being mindful of your own mental health and how you need to look after yourself, isn't it? Well, yeah. and as Brené think... says, <laughs> I'm going to put Brené in again, cause we haven't mentioned her. <laughs> listen. Don't listen to the to the folks in the cheap seats, cheap and I think seat, that's exactly. what we need to kind of channel. <laughs> Great, thanks, Ed Vita. We could talk about this for days, but we won't do that. Let me just instead ask you to send through your thoughts. Let us know what you think about it and what you've been talking about around this topic or around any of the things that we talk about. I hope you enjoyed the little chat that we've had around the news, and that you also enjoy our next episode, which is about data. While you're doing that, take some time and leave us a review. Thank you. If you want to find out more about how you can work with us, you can visit our website, which is calmedgedrebels.com. Here you can find out more about each of us individually, and it will also give you links to our own websites, which are colinear.co for Trudy, commsrebel.com for Advita, and Redefining Comms for me, Jenny. You can also follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at Carmage Rebels. And you can also follow us individually on Twitter, Instagram and LinkedIn. So if you do want to work with us around communications, consulting, coaching or workshops, please do get in touch. Well, today I just really wanted to focus on research and data and the importance of that for us in business. I've always been excited about research and the power that it has to give us the tools to influence, convince, and and prove things. So I, I think it's a really important thing for us to use. I also think that there is something around how we take the time to research. So if I'm just looking at communications or communicators, I don't feel that we gather enough research I don't feel that we embark on enough research that's looking outward we do a lot of things that looks 
inwards. And when I think that the three of us have all taken on some elements of research, some of us have done it directly, some of us have done it indirectly, but we've done it over the years and we've done it to enhance our work. And I just thought it'd be really great to explore how how that helps us in business and how it can help other people in terms of looking at that as a way forward to adding something to their bow. So yeah, so let's let's get cracking. What do you all think? I, I or at least how has research really helped you both? Research for me was always a bit of a weakness. And I remember years ago looking at uh, how I could do a bit more research, how I could do more to increase that skill. And I know when we were on the CIPR internal comms committee, Trudy, you and I kind of kickstarted some research together looking at CEOs and their views on internal communication. And I think for me, there is something about identifying the analysis side was the weakness that I had. And that's why I wanted to do more, because I always felt I wasn't very good at analysing data and not bringing my bias to that conversation, or I wasn't sure always what I was kind of looking at. So from doing the work with you and then working with Benjamin Ellis on the research projects that I've done on communicating with a deskless workforce and also line manager uh, roles, that has massively helped me increase my skills and knowledge around question setting, hypothesis, bias, like just so much stuff. And and that comes from working with experts in the field, right, which Benjamin Ellis is. So Mm. I think it's it's really helped me be more of a critical thinker is probably the biggest thing that doing research has helped. Lisa, how do you feel about it? Oh, I, I love it. I am a big fan of research data and insight, and it should be the bread and butter of anybody who's working in an advisory role, in, in my opinion. It's what Jenny said. It gives us scope to be that critical thinker to remove that bias that we can sometimes have. And now I, I know we can use research and data to formulate our own opinions on how we want to portray that conversation right and we've all I think we can all you know when I want to win an argument about something against my parents for example especially my dad who's got very strong views about certain things I will find the information to counteract that and you can do that right but I do think it's really important to base your kind of conversations with leaders with clients with whoever and and being fair and and making sure that you've got both sides of the story really and that's what research I think helps you to do and understanding data and insight really kind of gives you that I suppose platform to have that thorough conversation in why things need to stay the same things need to change or you know that kind of stuff because I said it before and I do a lot of measurement workshops and and that kind of stuff and I would say to internal communicators is your gut can only take you so far right so you can say oh I know this isn't right and I know we should be doing something differently but I'm not quite sure why that is that why you need to go and investigate and I always say to folks that and I said it you know you know you know all of my quotes so it is a bit like you know if you don't do your data and research it's like throwing a dart in a dark room and hoping to hit your target and that's exactly what it's like because you're kind of like fluffing about aren't you trying to figure out what you're trying to do so I'm a big fan of research and data and I base all my kind of work that I do on that and I suppose a part of that is why I am really keen on credibility as well and having that credentials behind the data and research that we do. Yeah I really strongly feel that there's no excuse for it really if you don't for not doing it sorry because when you just you just explained right there that sometimes it's as simple as looking something up or 
just delving deeper into something is not necessarily that it's about setting up a whole research project and doing some surveys and and then doing all of the reports that's the re, that relate to it although that is very important sometimes it's as simple as just digging deeper into the topic that you're trying to find out about and and finding the things that support what you're trying to say it, it's incredibly important for uh decision making and and a lot of the times you'll see where people are ready to or quick to make a decision making decisions quickly and not necessarily looking at the data and insight. And I've had that so many times in, in places that I've supported clients where you're working for them and they want the answer very quickly. And I always go back to, well, let's look at some insight. Let's go and delve a little bit deeper. Let's ask, perhaps let's ask the employees a few questions. Uh, let's do some focus groups or let's do some other aspects of research and then it's been a little bit like, well, why is it taking so long? <laughs> and, and I've always kind of thought, don't rush me. I really will need to delve into this into this detail in order to give you the right advice to make decisions. And I think that's why I think it's so important, because at the end of the day, if we if we remove that that element of things, we absolutely can't make a decision. And I know for you, Jenny, you do that um, within your model. Uh, mm-hmm. That's a big part of how you diagnose a problem. Yeah, I, and and you're right. I think it is about having the time to do it. And I always find it interesting that when we're looking at doing anything that's to an external stakeholder in an organisation, we're very happy to invest the time in research and data. We're less happy to do that when it's about your employees, in my experience. But you you do have to take that time. And and I do talk about the fact that you have to understand the, the symptoms or the or the problem or the chaos, and then you have to diagnose that and then you can, can fix it. But that diagnostic piece is so important and choosing the right diagnostic tool for the situation is equally really important because it's very easy to say, we'll just do a survey. But if you have a, a, a quite a serious situation of lots of people leaving the organization, people off on stress, doesn't matter how large your organization is, just doing a survey is not going to cut it because you're not going to get to the root cause of the issue. And you're also kind of signaling that you don't really care enough to really listen to them. Mm. Because every time we look at data and industry reports or insights, there will always be more questions that will come from looking at a load of data that's a survey than looking at stuff that's been a conversation and the richness that you can get from that. So I'd always say have what I would call listening interviews alongside any other diagnostic tool so that you can have the conversations. But just think about what it signals as well, because it's so important for what you want to achieve as that end goal. Um, but it does take time. I mean, really, any anything you're doing where you need to get data and insight in order to make informed decisions is, is really kind of, you know, minimum three months. And that that does depend what you're doing, but it's sort of minimum three, probably maximum three years. Do you know what I mean? It's it it really depends what you're trying to achieve and what you want to do. And it's also not a case of just doing that data and insight once. It's you have to sort of do it fairly regularly to be able to see trends and and make quick changes and and take action. I know we often talk about the fact that you have to take action with the data and insight that you get. But um, yeah, gosh, I covered a lot there. Sorry, different tools. You need to do something with it. Went off on a right little tangent. <laughs> I 
and it's all really valid stuff, Jenny. And I think, you know, we talk about data insight and research a lot, I think, in our profession, whether you're external comms or internal comms, whether you're a business leader, whatever it is, you know, that you're doing, we do talk about that. But do we actually, what you just shared there and, and that and that time frame is really important because I always say to folks that you need to give things time. Like you can't just expect to do two hours worth of research and, and think that you've got all the answers and, and you know what you're doing. You know, these things take a long time. And even the measurement side of the, you know, when you're measuring the outcomes, give it time. Like I always say to folks that like 100% what you just said, three months minimum to up to three years to see any change and shift in, in perception and outcomes and measurement. And we're just really impatient with stuff like that. And I also don't think... <laughs> you are. <laughs> I, know, you know, I am, I know, I know. But I also don't think people give time to research. You're right. Like, you just don't, you don't factor that in when you are creating something in the organisation. You don't factor in that research piece. So often you might talk to one or two people in the organization to get a sense of what's going on but is that a true reflection of the organization you know and is that a true reflection of what what people are saying so we and I'm classing myself in this royal we like impatient at times we want results we want to see the end game I suppose before we've even done the legwork to get there and I have to admit there are times when I do get frustrated at people coming up with a thought or an idea based on nothing like just based on a tweet that they might have read or a blog post that they might have come across without any kind of actual research and investigation and due diligence. Uh, and that's a, a myriad of things, right, from bringing people into your organisation and, and giving them a role to creating a campaign based on data and, and research. And I just don't think we do enough of that due diligence piece. Mm. No, I don't. I don't think we do but then I also don't think we're very good at setting objectives generally to then go and explore Measure. yeah because yeah. yeah you can't the amount of time I see objectives that just aren't measurable is more often than I see objectives that are and actually when I'm if I'm looking at, at any anything and, and I've been fortunate enough to to judge you know awards for various bodies over the years and actually when I the the main organizations that I see as being outstanding at setting objectives is the public sector. They are, mm. from a communications perspective, they are absolutely brilliant at yes. setting measurable objectives. And I, whereas in the private sector, I seem to see very little uh, mm. in terms of that, and also much more focused on measures that aren't about outcomes and just about you mm. know sort of more tactical stuff. So I think so much of that needs to be done as kind of the baseline. But it's interesting you were saying a bit about people just taking something as kind of the truth and just, you know, running with that or just, you know, taking something at face value or just having, I think you, there's a balance, isn't there, between taking something um, and, and kind of throwing it out there as a hypothesis for people to go away and explore. But our natural curiosity has to have a role to play in being able to question, interpret, mm. review, challenge, discuss, you know, all of those things, uh, much like we say on our podcast, you know, people are listening to us. If you've got ideas, thoughts, feedback, then get in touch with us because we know that we have quite strong opinions on stuff um, <laughs> that people will agree or disagree with. And it's just being open to that conversation and dialogue. And for me, there is an element of that in research and measurement. You, you kind of have to put a bit of a stake in the ground or have a hypothesis and then use the research to either prove or disprove that, like we did with the CEO research 
yeah. Trudy, where we said, we, we, th- we believe this, let's go away and have a look and see whether we can prove, disprove that. And, and that was one of my biggest learnings in doing research was have that hypothesis to prove, disprove, because then you've got somewhere to go. One of the things that really opened my eyes about research was when I was doing my master's, there was a whole module around doing some research and we did anything from focus groups to desk research to to actual surveys and interpreting that to put it in a report. So I got switched on from that. But some of the skills that you just mentioned, Jenny, are are skills that anybody can develop and, and learn. And I think it's really important to to do that especially if you're serving clients in any way whether you're a communicator or not because there's a huge part of that that helps you to influence uh, the decision makers the leadership team or whoever you need to engage with as Advita said it's that balance between you've come with an idea where's the evidence to back that mm. up where's the evidence to prove that that's real or that that can happen and and where are some case studies to actually demonstrate where that approach has been successful and I think that's that's where it becomes it it, it almost has this massive role to play within how we do business do you think people are challenged enough so just as you were saying that I was reflecting on a on a, a previous boss of mine who said to mm. me that my opinion was not enough in the boardroom. And of course, she was quite, she was quite right. <laughs> At the time, I was outraged because let me assure you, my opinion is more than enough. But it was it was that that led me to go on and do the internal communications diploma to become qualified so that it wasn't just my opinion. But that was a very direct challenge to my opinion and my beliefs. At, from a from a board director, you know, coming back and saying you need to go in and come with more than this. Now, I wonder, as you were talking then, how often people are challenged. So are there boards out there going back to people in whatever part of the business to say, you know, your opinion isn't enough. Where's your verification? Where's your fact? Where's your evidence? Where's this? Or are they just taking things? Because I've worked in organizations where there's been both. I've had the, I've had the, your opinion is not enough. And then I've had the millions of pounds in your budget. With, with a really rubbish business case that your team have done. So I don't, I'm just wondering how consistent that is in terms of what's being asked by business leaders of people in a maybe more junior position or people working in any profession. I don't know what your experiences are. It's just making me ponder as it does. I think we're in a time where it's not as common for people to be demanding in, we want this evidence or we want that evidence. I think it's quite possible that we're seeing that less and less that it's a demand on people. And that's purely because people are moving at the speed of light. Mm, mm, Fair. Yeah. We are in a much more instant world now, aren't we? Yeah. Yeah. I think in the earlier days of my career, there's definitely appetite for board to come back and challenge and, and ask us to go and, you know, investigate a bit further with, with our thoughts and ideas. I have to admit towards the, as things started to move at pace, like Trudy said, it, it it wasn't the question and the challenge wasn't really there anymore. It was a kind of just JFDI, you know, <laughs> just go and do it. And and often our and this is you know this is obviously another I think this is going to be another podcast episode about leaning into those difficult conversations with leaders who haven't done their research and mm-hmm. haven't done their insight work and haven't got the data to back up their thoughts. You know, you may have done all the legwork and you may have got the data and insight and the and the information that you need, 
but managing leaders and board members who haven't done their due diligence and haven't got their research in order, but yet they're giving you instructions and orders in something that they want based on, I don't know, hearing something on the golf course or hearing something, you know, at an, at an event that they went to. I always say golf course. <laughs> you always say golf course. <laughs> I, mean, I say that. You've got, you've, got, you've got this massive image of all these business leaders just doing golf courses everywhere. I know. I really have. Really? I am. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think just because I think 95% of my experience is that most of them are on the golf courses, yeah. you know, the senior leaders, generally. <laughs> I am stereotyping massively, I know. Uh, but it's true, you know, they don't often uh, research and insight. and they ask you to do something and that's so I think that's when you need to lean into that difficult conversation and use your research and insight to kind of say I, I hear what you're saying and I hear what you're asking me to do but here is some evidence and data that demonstrates that if you're asking me to do what you're what you want me to do this is it's going to fail or it's you know this is the kind of outcomes we could potentially expect and then they'd still come back and go crack on I don't care then at least you've done your your, you've done your due diligence right and you've done that Mm. and sometimes the evidence that you find is quite uncomfortable as well especially if you're researching within the organization so you know Jenny you mentioned listening interviews and I've done those as well and when you play that back to leadership or to whoever has asked for it you it it can be quite uncomfortable so sometimes oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure that some people are thinking well do I really want to know what people are thinking do I really want to you know I think that's why the kind of employee engagement survey that doesn't cover much or that doesn't delve deeply enough is is very palatable to many because it it really doesn't ask some of those hard questions of people and you don't necessarily get brutally honest feedback when you when you do the listening interviews in contrast you get a lot more detail and it you know and and you will hear a bit more truth so so there are some reasons why there'd be resistance to doing it anyway yeah but also as you've just mentioned employee engagement surveys then it's just made me think about the fact that so often we're doing research inside our organizations to enable a business case or to prove a point that we want to prove so our bias in interpreting that data is huge yeah. because we're doing it to enable us to get budget for something or to do this. So we're not looking at it through that lens of unbiasedness. That's not a word. Um, but do you know what I mean? It's, we're not looking at it in that more pure, sort of pure form of actually what's this data telling us. And that's why working with external people is helpful because they haven't got any of that preconceivedness I'm just putting ness on the end of words today preconceivedness <laughs> um into that conversation honestly I work in comms it's brilliant it's um, yeah why not we'll have a calmish revels dictionary of my weird isms it's fine I think that's also really important to think about because it's a it, it's a bit like if you if if you were to go for like a a, te- a medical test for example and it you were saying that you, your eyesight was bad then you would just be looking at, at your eyesight you maybe wouldn't be looking at any other symptom that could be going on that could be contributing to that because you're just focused on the eyes like you're missing all the other parts of the body and that could be where the situation is it's the same for me with things like employee engagement surveys is you're just you know if you're doing it because you want to be able to say that you need to have investment in your employee engagement activities and you need to increase budget then you're going to look for the data that's going to enable you to tell that story thereby missing potentially critical data in there that doesn't support your story, but takes you in a different direction. And that mm. that's really that's really uncomfortable because 
if you are a function that's got a very clear view of this is where we want to go and this is what we want to do, let's get the data, you have to make sure that that data is being reviewed and looked at by someone that isn't coming at it with that lens because yeah. that's just going to get you into a little pickle, which we don't yes. want. And it's important, and you're right, it's, you know, having the objective view is... Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> is, 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 oh, dear. Critical, and, you know, and I have had experiences where I've had certain leaders, when they've seen the results of a survey or of, of feedback I've shared with them, who want to remove it, who are like, oh, oh, I, I know they didn't mean it that way. Oh, I don't think they meant it that way. <laughs> really? How do you know that? You know, and it's that uncomfortableness that and it takes a it does take a level of confidence in the individual who's feeding back the results to stand firm and be moral in what they're doing and be ethical and say, actually, no, you know, we, we can do a bit of a deeper dive in some of these results and let's go and have the conversation, as Trudy said, the listening exercise, and let's figure out what the challenge actually is and let's do some research. Otherwise, it is going to be. A, a bit of a challenge for people and I think that's where people uh fall down it's that pushback and you're right you know when 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 you don't have that objective view and you are looking look I'm just thinking of a story actually that, that an incident happened in an organization I worked in where the results weren't as great as they expected and I remember the senior the HR director coming to me saying right the CEO has asked if we can find anything that correlates with this statement and I was like oh my goodness ridiculous like and I remember thinking I was quite junior at the time and I thought oh my god how am I going to what I'm going to do here how am I going to feed this back in and I, and I had to really tread carefully because they were, they were just so keen on finding the evidence they needed to back up their statement that they'd, they'd made to board. I mean that's not the worst I've been in organizations where they've just stopped doing employee engagement survey. because every time they'd get feedback it was always about things that they couldn't change so therefore they just stopped doing it but I was a bit like maybe we should ask questions (laughs) that we can do something with rather than asking questions that are somewhat pointless because you can't do anything about them and therefore if it's outside of your circle of control and influence you know think about whether or not it's helpful so I think there's a I think there's a lot more of that that goes on than I think we give credit for but I and, and I think even though we can sit here and say, you know, bring in external support because that would make sure that you wouldn't have some of that bias, that that bias can still kind of come, not come through, but I know from just my experience, if I'm doing a load of listening interviews across an organisation, you know, names of people will come up in those conversations. And then if you know that you've got to speak to those people, I'm always very aware that I'm I'm going into some of those conversations with a bit of a preconceived view based on those things so therefore I've got to make sure that I'm really making sure that I balance that out and being very mindful of that and that's the important thing for me is being aware and mindful of it and almost trying to disprove what you're being led to believe Mm -hmm. and and then being able to bring that balance and that that's you know really important to do because sometimes there's lots of things kind of at play and going on so I think it's it's not just about having that external person it's it's probably more about being mindful of where that bias could be coming from and and being aware that it's there and then using a counterbalance to that in your own mind as you're doing stuff. Yeah, and it's if you have a genuine intention to fix certain things, because as you said, you know, sometimes you've got, sometimes you're going after data, you're going after the research for the wrong reasons. However, if you have a genuine intention to, to change something, to enhance perhaps engagement or whatever it is that you need to improve, then then certainly data can help you 
to do that and and by looking at the outputs from a listening interview or focus groups or any given thing i mean i i've even done something as simple as delving deeper into some of the existing material that's collected mm. every day you know yes. you, you yeah. look into that and and can surmise quite a lot especially hr usually collects quite a lot of data around uh, staffing figures and and so on and by just delving into that basic data you pull out some of the things that you need in order to to inform something but if the intention from perhaps leadership or or those in position is is not there you know it's kind of yeah we're just we're looking at it but we're not really going to change anything first of all the people who are on the receiving end of the please complete the survey are going to feel a bit disgruntled because they won't see any outputs and secondly it, it's it's like a wasted exercise to a certain extent because the whole purpose is is to give you the evidence so that you can make decisions that you can make a change in some way so it, it it's really really important to to pull it together in a certain way i i think that if we don't if we don't take that position and sometimes that position needs to be a challenging position <laughs> we need to challenge back yeah uh sometimes we we're not taken seriously i i don't want to lead any company down a rabbit hole and tell them to make a decision based on something that's not real so mm. for me i think I, I think insight and research is is critical to everything that I do so so yeah so that's really important we're getting close to the point where we can talk about some tips now but before we do that I just also thought it might be good for us to share uh if somebody is interested in embarking on their own research because we've both we've done that all three of us some of the things that you might want to think about or consider when you when you're saying to yourself, do you know what? I really would love to delve into this subject? I'd really like to find out more. It will enhance what I do. It will support my brand and my work. What should people be doing to approach that as well? So when you're giving your tips, just include that as well. Okay. Gosh, you don't want much, do you? Right. No, okay. it's like it's like, <laughs> well, it's like I'll write this down. Okay. Yeah. For me, it's about having a clear objective as to why you want to do the research and be definite about how you pull that together so get uh, certain people involved use different methods is one of my favorite things because some people some organizations are surveyed out so they can't take any more so but there are many other ways that you can uh, address research you can do focus groups as as we've all said we can do listening interviews there's some desk research you can do so certainly i would say look at the various methods involved in in doing research and collecting data to make sure that you've mixed it up a bit and you're not putting pressure on the organization when they can't take it for those saying that they would love to 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 embark on research i would say just do it do some of your own personal uh, digging into the subject that you think you want to do some research around and be very clear about your hypotheses and what you want to prove or disprove it's really it's it, it's a I find I found it really rewarding to do it I really enjoyed the whole process not everybody's going to love it some people find it boring the collection of data is a pig sometimes but <laughs> certainly I would say look at the whole process and learn how to 
engage with it properly as you go along uh, and then you I think you enjoy it more when you kind of take those steps along the way and you see where the outcomes are coming along as you're working through it and you discover so many things about yourself and also what you're looking to what you're looking to fix so similarly to you I if, if I'm giving advice to people that are looking to do research themselves that having a hypothesis is is really key the other one is about working with an expert so obviously I chose to work with Benjamin I've known him for a very long time but part of the reason we worked so well together is because our brains are just very very complementary together so I can have lots of ideas and he can help me turn them into a you know a sound questionnaire survey research practice so that combination of us together for us works works really really well and when we look at the data and we interpret it sometimes we come at it and we're looking at it at different angles and we can have a good discussion and debate and we get quite excited about that because we all enjoy the data so I think there's something for me about working with other people on it because it brings other perspectives in that's really helpful. Benjamin and I have always thought very differently. So it's a very helpful partnership in terms of that neurodiversity, which I just think is um, really key. And then if you're doing research and measurement inside your organisation, have a reason for doing it and a commitment to action. That's really important. If there's no commitment to action on the back of gathering the insight, then I actually wouldn't bother doing it at all. And also invest in question design. So don't just think you can chuck some questions together on an online survey tool. Um, I won't name any. And think that that will, that will work because trust me, as someone that's done research, you learn a lot about the language you use, the assumptions that you make about questions that then can quickly unravel. So make sure that you've got some thoughts and some other people viewing those questions to make sure they're being interpreted in the right way if you're going to be doing surveys. Wow, both of you taken some really good <laughs> top tips. Yes, I know, okay. right? So I think my, but on the research part, I will definitely advise to look at credible sources because there are lots of people with lots of opinions, not necessarily backed up with data and insight. So when you're doing your own research, check check the source and check the facts of that source because I have heard of individuals who've been burned by quoting certain you know articles and blogs and it's not accurate and it's not it's not true right so be very caught there's a lot of fake news is basically what I'm saying out there so just be very cautious of of the credentials of that report that you're using to back up your research because it can take you down you know a, a dark hole that you don't need to be in to be honest so just be very cautious of that in terms of insight and data internally that you're doing again you know echoing what Jenny just said I actually don't believe in survey fatigue. I just don't. I don't think it exists. What I do believe in is the reason people don't like doing surveys is because you don't action anything that they have shared. So people get frustrated. If I, when I'm filling in a survey and I know somebody's going to take action on my responses, then I will do 100 surveys because I can see people taking my opinion on board and changing the things that I have challenges with. Where I will not do surveys is when I can't see the outcomes. So you're tasking me to take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, half an hour out my day to fill in a survey that I did a year ago, replica a year ago, and I still haven't seen any changes from a year ago to today. So why should I do it? So for me, when people say, oh, my, my, my organization's got survey fatigue, I don't think your organization's got survey fatigue. I think your organization and the people within the organization haven't seen the results coming out of that survey, haven't seen the action, because 
most of us will, will quite happily fill in several surveys if it's going to change our culture or the way we work or bring in the things that we need it to bring in. So just bear that bear that in mind. And again, be cautious about the research you're doing internally, making sure that you are covering a breadth of the, the organisation and you're not just going to your friends or the people that are immediate to you in your you know, on your floor or in your office block, make sure you've got your stakeholder group, you know, your stakeholder map or whatever, uh, and make sure you've, you've got a representation. Because as I always say, representation matters, you know, across the entire workforce. Uh, mm-hmm. So you've got a balanced objective. The word of the word of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm never going to live this down, am I? <laughs> a view of, of what's going on. So yeah, those, those are my top tips. And no, baby steps, baby steps. And I, I want to mention Priya Bates's famous quote, which I know I've mentioned a couple of times, is progress, not perfection. And I wow, think I love that. Yeah. Definitely use that one all the time. <laughs> oh, I, I just keep stealing people's quotes. <laughs> one day, yeah, it is good. One day, <laughs> I'll, just day. Take, I'll just take it as my own and claim it as my own. And give all sorts of postcards and all sorts of things on it. Yeah, no, that, was, that was brilliant. Really useful. I kind of feel like I've learned some stuff myself. Amazing. Like great, it. great conversation. Good yeah. objective conversation, team. Well done. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. Please do remember to rate us or leave us a review on Apple. And if you have any ideas about future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks. Thanks.